Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We know that employers spend a lot of time and energy on the entire employee life cycle, from sourcing to onboarding, straight through retention, engagement, training, and so on. But HR plays another more strategic role, one that requires working closely with executives. Even with a mainline to the C-suite, HR can often find that they have trouble getting through to the leaders on important matters. Today, we are joined by a strategic HR expert, Ed Musio. Ed's mantra is higher output, lower stress, sustainable growth. He is also the author of a number of books, including his most recent, Iterate, Run a Fast, Flexible, Focused Management Team, an Inc. original publication, and that was published in 2018. Ed has also been featured in national and international media, including CBS News, Fox Business News, The New York Post, and has contributed regularly to CBS, Monster.com, and the Huffington Post, among others. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We're really, uh, really excited to have you here today. Jim, thank you. It's great to be here. Why do so many of us in HR have a hard time making ourselves understood to senior leadership? You know, I think the answer has a lot to do with language uh, and, and the language we use to talk about the work and the output it produces. Senior leadership, in my experience, and, and I do a lot of work with middle to senior leaders and executives, they're they're focused on what they're focused on, which is producing outputs for stakeholders. And a lot of times in HR, we have some language problems with that. For example, here's one that I talk about in my book, Iterate. I, I like to say we have a deficit of language around managing, right? So, so we have what I call managing with a capital ing. And that is, if you have direct reports, you're managing them with a capital ing. You're setting goals, you're helping them develop, you're modeling policy, you're uh, dealing with issues. I think HR is very good about talking about those kind of things and has a lot of good tools for that. Uh, Often you're also doing what I would call change management with a capital change, which is major shifts in structure or purpose for the whole organization, shepherding large groups of people through those shifts. Again, an important thing to do, just like managing, and HR has some good tools and some good language. But there's a third part of the equation, and it's what I call management with a capital MENT, and that is that anyone who's in management, particularly true in, in middle and senior leadership, is part of a system of people that are together working to allocate and reallocate the resources of the organization in pursuit of its outputs, to keep adjusting it back on track toward the outputs we need it to produce. And we don't have a lot of times in HR good language for that. And so we end up talking, whether it's about tactical things like hiring and firing, whether it's even about strategic things like talent strategy or you know succession planning, we end up using a lot of language that's sort of internally focused, whereas what our clients care about and what they're hearing about from the other people around their sort of metaphorical and physical leadership table is they're hearing about their output. What am I doing? What are you doing to support their output? And I think when HR has a hard time drawing that line, when we don't do a good job of saying, look, I'm here in support of your output and here's what I'm doing in support of your output, I think we have a hard time, honestly, getting taken seriously by by the people we're trying to serve. That's very interesting. Um, what do you think 
what kind of questions should HR be asking of any business group? Well, you know, to continue that theme of focusing on output, there's four that I have that I think, you know, if you're an HR person and you're stepping into either a new business group or you're trying to rebuild or build a relationship with your current client group, um, I think they're key. The first one is just simply, what are your planned outputs and how do you forecast them? Now, that's a little like asking what are your goals? I think everyone would tell you you should ask about that. But, but I like the language around planned outputs because it's like, what are you actually going to produce in the next X number of months? And not only how do you measure them, but how do you forecast them? Meaning, how do you sit here today and look at where you expect to be in X number of months from now and decide whether you think you're likely to arrive at where you want to be? that's the forecasting. And if you if you don't understand that about the output your clients are producing, then you're going to have a hard time talking with them about what matters to them because that's what matters to them. So that's the first one. Should I go on? Yeah, please do. Second one is sort of a boring one, I think, in some ways, but it's, and, and all of these, I should say, are things you can either ask or you can just observe for them too. But I like to ask because I think it gives a good conversation about, you know, how the leaders and managers see their world. Um, the second one is, how often and how regular are your management meetings? So if we've got a situation where, you know, managers, as I said, are part of a system trying to continuously readjust the resources of the organization, if we don't have the meeting regularly and often, you know, if we have a situation where the boss goes out of town for two weeks, so we don't have any meetings for those weeks or something, it becomes very hard to get the work of the organization done. And so, you know, in HR, you're in a position to notice and influence that and say, look, when someone has a problem that needs to be escalated, it shouldn't matter that the boss is overseas there should still be a path. Otherwise, we're burdening these people with figuring out how to manage the organization instead of actually managing it. And so, you know, again, we're looking for regularity and frequency. That's number two. Number three is, and this is almost a bit of a trick question, but you can ask, ask the person you're working with, do your subordinates work on their goals or on your goals? <laughs> and, and what you're looking for there is, you know, we have this North American management mythology that says, give each person their goals and turn them loose. But the problem with that is that's what creates silos, right? Once we have person A with goals A and person B with goals B, they're going to pursue their goals at the expense of and without reference to the others. So if I'm running a team of managers and I want my team working together to support my higher level goals, then what I tell them is, yeah, you each have your own goals and you each have your own responsibilities. But at the same time, we succeed or fail together. This is a management team. And the charter of the team is my set of goals, which are the higher level goals. And so you need to be working on achieving my goals. And so when we have a debate about, you know, what to do with a certain resource or how to approach something, you know, the debate is never person A versus person B for their goals. The debate is always what's better for the higher level goals. And, and by just saying that, by just saying we succeed or fail together, as I just did, the leaders and the managers can actually create that kind of an environment. And again, as HR, we're in a unique position to coach that into the organization. That's very interesting. I like I like the idea of um, I like the idea of you know because when people are in silos, you know they're they just don't necessarily like even if you could zip both of their silos together, it just don't work. I mean, we run into this problem all the time, you know, because it's not like piece A fits with piece B. It's like piece A and then you know number number seven, you know, apples and oranges. Exactly. Yeah. Anytime new leadership takes over, there always there's always this like uh, reformation, you know, where people either split things back into silos, or take silos and put them all together under one. Uh, it's it would be good to have that 
have that you know sense of unification from the beginning. Yeah, well, and that's part of that, that what I call the North American management mythology, which is give them their goals and turn them loose. You know, it's this very individualistic kind of person on a horse riding off into the sunset sort of picture of <laughs> how things work. And it's, it sounds beautiful, but it, it just it doesn't work, right? Uh, that, by the way, leads directly into my fourth of my four questions, which is how consistent is your management approach between people and levels, right? So if I'm running a management team, I can be, you know, the best in the world at driving this level of collaboration, working to the higher level goal, you know, there's some things we can do around making good group decisions, you know, forecasting, like I was talking about. But I also need to say to my team, if they're managers, hey, look, I run this management team this way. I expect you to run your management team this way. And I expect you to set this expectation downstream on any managers who work for you. Because to your point, Jim, if, if we're not all working that way, then, you know, collaboration becomes a good idea that doesn't work because, you know, one part of the company is run by a dictator, one's run by a laissez-faire manager, you know, one's run by somebody who's trying to be collaborative. And as soon as we need to resource share, we're just breaking our heads trying to figure it out, right? So, so you have the responsibility as a manager to make sure that consistency is there. And if you're the HR person advising that leader or manager, again, you're in a unique position to say, hey, look, you know, it's not enough to say, turn them loose to their goals you're setting the culture, you're the one setting the tone and the, and the specifics about how things work. So be sure to be clear about that and set the expectation correctly. You know, you talked about, um, you sort of introduced this podcast as how do you get HR uh, managers to be heard by their CEOs? And this is something people have been talking about for a long time, you know, and the answer is usually bring the CEOs and bring the leaders the kinds of things they care about, bring them the metrics, bring them the data that, you know, that says, okay, it's worth putting this amount of money into this program because it's going to engage our employees better. Here's why you want to engage them so you don't lose a bunch of employees and have to spend all kinds of extra money training new people. You know, um, do, you, do you have any sense of like to what extent HR should involve itself in things like this and objectives? graphs and charts that are used to run the business? Well, I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with bringing good data on the things you're proposing. But I think, I mean, I think you asked a, a good question, which is you only understand the impacts if you start to understand what the group is measuring. And I think now I'm a little of a weird guy because I have an engineering background, but I really believe that HR needs to be very involved in at least the high level charts and graphs of the organization, because that's what's running the business, right? So, so we talked a little bit a few minutes ago about measurable outcomes, right? Measurable outputs or measurable results. Certainly understanding what that is, is important. But I really think HR, again, is uniquely positioned to take the next step and say, you know, show me your graphs, show me how you're measuring these things, and then show me on your graph where you display what we might call the original version of the future, the plan or the objective or, you know, how we thought things were going to go. And now show me on your graph how you display your current understanding of the future, meaning your current forecast, and whether or not that's different than the original forecast, right? So does your graph visually show variance? Because that's the conversation we need to have in management, right? Your management team needs to look and say, hey, we're on track or we're not. And if the graphs don't show it, then we end up doing the common thing, which is saying, so Pete, how's it going? And then, you know, Pete kind of starts talking for a while and it becomes unstructured and, and not useful, right? So you know, if, if, we're, if we're on a limited number of graphs, not too many, and we're doing that kind of double future forecast where we're saying, you know, we are or are not in the same place we were, 
that's going to just feed a level of effectiveness into the management team and it's going to allow the hr person to coach that in so you're really bringing something that they need that they might not even know they need that's also very interesting um you know when hr is in one of these meetings when they're observing a management meeting what do you think uh they could look for you know the meetings are the management meetings in particular are one of the best places to observe the culture and the reality of how the organization runs and so, you know, there are some things you can look for that are easy that I think most HR people know about, which are important. Like, does the meeting have a written agenda? Do we follow the agenda? Does the meeting have a clear objective? Do we know why we're there? Are the right people there? Are they participating? You know, are there good group dynamics? Are we following research-based models for group decision-making or are we doing it by, you know, whoever speaks the loudest or the most or something? But, you know, and, and those are all reasons to coach and things you can coach if there's issues there. Beyond that and beyond regularity that we talked about, I think you're really looking for that future focus. You're really looking for, you know, is this a meeting quantitatively that is talking about how the future now looks and how it used to look and what's different about that and what we're going to do today to get ourselves on course or back on course? Or is it a meeting that's talking about what's already happened and that's talking about, you know, what's happening right now and that's sort of a forum for people to kind of demonstrate their value? Because if it's the, if it's the latter, if it's, you know, a conversation about what's going on and what's already happened, that's not useful to the organization. A little of that is fine and necessary, but if that meeting is not really all about what action in terms of resource allocation are we going to take now to keep us on track or get us back on track, then we're missing something pretty major in management. We were talking about silos before and the idea that, you know, and unifying the message, um, you know, and, and one way you can combat that we might be to advocate for teamwork, more teamwork and more collaboration. But like we talked about, if things aren't set up that way, um, that could be a lot of futility. Do you think that HR needs to do more to break down silos? And probably a good follow-up would be, how can they do that? You know, I think that there there is, <laughs> futility is the right word, unfortunately. I think it's a tricky area. I, I think it's sort of this, the answer to this question sort of crosses with that original question about, you know, how do we get HR to be taken sort of more seriously or, or be really well understood? We all know collaboration is important, right? We all know that when people get along better and when they move information better, they make better decisions and we get better outcomes. But it's just too often it ends up sort of sounding like a motherhood and apple pie thing where it's like, you know, there's the reality, the, you know, the cold, harsh reality where we hold each person to their individual goals. And, you know, if I win, somebody else loses and that kind of thing. And then there's this kind of idealized thing about we all collaborate, we all help each other. And we're putting our managers in a situation where they're saying, yeah, you know, HR, you're talking about collaboration, you're talking about help. It sounds good, but it doesn't match my reality. Now, if instead we in HR can coach the, the leaders and managers to as you said, create that system, right? So start to create that environment where the manager is saying, you know, hey, look, we succeed or fail together. I, I'm not saying that in a, you know, a soft sort of feel good way. I'm saying, you know, if I have three things I want this team to achieve and if it doesn't achieve all three, the team has failed and therefore the individuals on the team have failed, right? I mean, I'll kind of go to the side a little bit for a second here, but it's so easy to think about this if you think about the top of a very simple organization, right? So let's say, you know, I have Ed Incorporated and I'm gonna develop and sell and produce a product. And so I have somebody in charge of development, somebody in charge of sales, somebody in charge of production, right? If I develop it and sell a bunch of them, but don't produce it, 
I failed. The organization has failed, right? So, so to what extent does it make sense to say, oh, my development person was successful and my salesperson was successful, my production person failed? Well, that's fine, but we're all unemployed, right? It's over. Yeah. So, so you know, we bring that into the other teams and, and other contexts, and we say, look, you know, it's it's we're not advocating for collaboration because collaboration is good. We're saying we do complex work. We have to share resources and, you know, we, we can't get it all done without all of us. And so we succeed or fail together. And I think, you know, again, I think HR is in a position to really um, be in the ear of leadership and help them to make that clear to their teams and to help their teams make it clear on down to their teams in a way that might not happen without us. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's pretty well understood at this point that, you know, your teams are only going to be as good as the people that are in them. Um, you know, and, and there's this concept of succession planning, you know, I think probably a lot of people get wrong. Um, and then there's, you know, high potential development as approaches to creating better teams and making sure your teams have a continuity should someone leave. Well, what do you think? How do you think HR is doing in their approach to those two things? Well, I mean, I get in trouble for my answer to this sometimes. We're doing better than we were, right? I mean, you go back a couple decades and there wasn't that much of that. So, so we've identified the need, I think, and we're more vocal about it. I think the problem that we have right now is that the approach we tend to use is sort of something that kind of gets stapled onto the side of the structure, right? So we kind of nose around in, let's say, the org chart and we pick out some key positions and some key people and we sort of lift those out and put them in a spreadsheet somewhere and we say these are the ones we care the most about and so you know let's make sure those positions have someone identified and let's make sure those people you know get some extra development or whatever and and you know there's nothing wrong with any of that it's probably really smart in most contexts to do that but you know the problem is when that boss leaves that key position maybe he takes or she takes that key person you know along because that person only wants to work for that boss right or maybe that person doesn't want the new job up or maybe you know any number of things can happen and so you know the, the problem is we're not doing enough of it because you can't do it separately and outside the organization what we need to have happen instead and, and what i always advocate for is part of that sort of we succeed or fail together message part of that you know you have your goals but we're working together on my goals is saying to those managers hey look you're going to be making recommendations in our management meeting about what's good or bad for my boss level, higher level goals. And to do that well, you need to understand the work of your peers. So everyone get in the habit of, you know, having one-on-one -on -one meetings, talking to each other and learning about each other's work. In the short term, the reason you do that is because you become a better advisor to the team and to the team leader, right? So that's how we set it up. But in the long term, the effect of that as, you know, now I've got my person A and person B and they've done a better job of learning about each other's work. So if I move up or move out, we have everybody on my team, person A, person B, everybody else, person C, and they all understand each other's work and they all have a history of working toward my boss, higher level goals. So any one of them can move up into my position and on day one of their new job, their learning curve is their new peers, meaning the people their boss was a peer with, right? In the, in the North American model, day one of their new job, they have to hurry up and learn what their old peers were doing because now they're managing those people. And so you see very often a three to six month or more lag in productivity and performance, these new managers, because they just don't know what they're doing yet because up until the day they got promoted, the message had been, you worry about your stuff 
and let your peers worry about their stuff and don't put your nose where it isn't wanted, right? So, so by doing it the other way, by doing this, what I call upward looking success and, and continuous lateral development, we create a system where management development is going on for everyone all the time. And, and that's just much more thorough and complete than anything you can do in a spreadsheet. So you, you really need both. You know, we hear a lot of talk about culture, company culture, organizational culture, people culture. You know, we publish all kinds of articles about this. I mean, it's clear it's important. Uh, it's important that people have the companies tend to their culture and they help, you know, create a one that's that's going to bring more people in, keep people there longer. Um, what about consistent culture, specifically being consistent in your management culture? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've sort of said it already a little bit, but but this idea of, you know, we all need to manage the same way, right? So so my favorite definition of culture comes from Edgar Schein of MIT Sloan, who we think invented the term. And he basically said, you know, we, either the we in, in this building or the we who were here before us had some problems in the past and we learned how to solve those problems by evolving, you know, through luck or skill, some behaviors. And now the quote is, we teach each other those behaviors back and forth as the way to think, feel, perceive, and act around those challenges, right? So, so what you have is a bunch of patterns from before that we carry forward because they worked, but there's no guarantee that they were optimal back then. And there's certainly no guarantee that things haven't changed between then and now. And so when you start talking about culture, what you're really talking about is what behaviors can we intentionally practice today that will be visible to each other and that will be helpful to the organization so that we catch the front end of that cycle, right? So that we start to learn behaviors today that get sticky and get adopted as the culture of tomorrow. And so, you know, back to this HR advising on output, right? The things I'm talking about around how to advise your management teams and your leadership teams as to how to run the team, as to how to make decisions. We didn't talk much about that one, but there's you know certain models to make decisions as to what kind of graphical data to use you know, as to what makes a good meeting or a bad meeting and how often to have them and how not to cancel them when you're out of town, right? All of these things become visible behaviors and those visible behaviors turn into culture. So as soon as I say, hey, you know, managers that work for me, I want you to run this way too. And I want you to tell your managers that work for you to run this way too. I'm starting to say, we're going to practice these behaviors all together in the context of our current challenges so that the ones that work get sticky, so that we're evolving a culture of tomorrow that is better suited to the challenges we're facing today and tomorrow, as opposed to just carrying forward a culture because it's the default, because it happened by accident some time ago and we don't exactly know what to do with it, right? That's, that's I think, where culture and management intersect. And, you know, again, I've said it a lot of times in this, in this discussion, but I feel like HR is uniquely positioned to have that conversation with leadership. And, and that's a conversation about behavior and it's a conversation about output. I think that's a conversation that really gets you a seat at the table much more strongly than advocating for collaboration, for example, because it's a good idea, even though you're right about that. Great. Well, this has all been really good. I um, Thanks again for taking the time to, to join us today. Jim, thank you. It's been great talking with you. You're most welcome. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR work should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast or with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or if you just want to say hi. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.